I want to spend today in two parts. Spend not today in two parts. I want to share this message in two parts. Um, I know, Pastor, I've been listening to all the messages, by the way, uh, even though I haven't been here worshiping with you guys every week. And I know Pastor Rick, uh, when he came and spoke two weeks ago, I know he began his message by um, just sort of uh, attributing his anxiety or giddiness or amped upness to caffeine. As many of you know, I had a bit of a scare with my heart uh, a few months ago. And so um, after going to the cardiologist, I've been pretty much caffeine free for for the last two and a half months, I mean, just, just cut out caffeine altogether. But this morning, um, trying to get back into the rhythm of doing ministry, uh, I decided to go ahead and drink a full cup of uh, caffeinated coffee this morning. And wow, <laughs> after not drinking caffeine for about three months, it really does affect you, especially on an empty stomach. So really, I, I'm, not, I'm not this jittery all the time. And uh, I, I think if you, James, if you want to take my pulse, I think it's going about 90 a minute. Um, I am excited to be back. And I would be lying, however, if I didn't tell you that it's a little bit of a challenge to come back as well. I thoroughly enjoyed the rest. Uh, what I did most during my sabbatical was just that, is rest, um, as uh, sabbaticals are meant to be. And... As I rested, um, I realized that this opportunity to rest came to me because of you, of your gracious hospitality and your graciousness to uh, give me that leave. So I just want to begin today's message by saying thank you. Thank you for the opportunity you as a church community gave me. I want to thank you, especially uh, Pastor Jen and all of the leaders who took up a little extra work. I know Jen had to preach nonstop for... For weeks on end, and I, I probably some of it was energizing. No, yeah. Um, when I first uh, when I first came and joined this ministry a while back, it's actually a while back. Jen had shared with me that he had gone like, what was your Dimaggio streak of preaching? Like he won eighty six straight Sundays preaching at one time in Bethel. So um, I think he got a little taste of that again. But uh, it is exciting to be back. Um, I, and I just want to take the first, uh, so I'm going to break up today's message into two parts. The first part about, hopefully the first 20 minutes or so, is going to be just my reflections. <laughs> my musings on what I did for the sabbatical and some of the things the Lord has uh, shown me. And then the last 20 or 25 minutes will be the message proper on judges. Lord willing. Okay, you know how these things go. Um, Oh, wow. Uh, where was I? Oh, reflections. Um, so what, some of the things that I did during my sabbatical that I want to share with you, um, and I, I want to actually sh- spend the next few months meeting with you and, and sharing with you on one-on-one and, and in smaller groups. But um, so the things that I did during my sabbatical was, number one, rest, uh, sleep in on Sundays, you know, just not worry about anything on Saturdays, uh, and then the second thing I got to do was I got to visit some churches, nearby churches, with very similar demographics. I had a chance to worship God with a larger body of Christ, experience what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in other ministries, and that was a wonderful time. Um, it is exciting to know that God is at work in other churches, and it's also exciting to know 
that I, I missed and, I, and that I love our church. And, uh, and, and it was, sometimes it's nice to kind of visit other churches to realize um, what a wonderful community of believers and what a wonderful life we have together as a community here. And, and I did miss that very much so. And the third thing I did was I had a chance to really um, diagnose my own life. And that was a big reason I took a break. Um, probably the one person who can attest to this more than anyone else is Jen, because Jen knows that for the past six months or so, I've been, I've been a little bit under stress, and my life was probably not in the best place. And as a result, I, I think um, I was a little cranky, <laughs> uh, a little less than gracious at all times, although you guys may find that hard to believe. <laughs> right, Mia? <laughs> there were times when I wasn't too nice in these past six months. I know, I know. Just put your disbelief away there for a second. Um, as Esther, my wife is always, not Jin's wife Esther, but my wife Esther is always eager to point out that she's really the nice one in the, out of the two of us. And I'm on the surface nice, but like deep like ice or like an ice man inside, which is not true. It's just her interpretation. Um, you know, I think I, I felt like that a little bit at times, very, uh, very burnt out and uh, not, in a, not in a good place. And so one of the things I wanted to do for the last three months is to diagnose my own condition with the help of the Spirit and with friends and just prayer with rest. I wanted to diagnose my own condition. And I want to share with you a a little bit on that reflection because I think it will help you as well and it will challenge you. So I want to begin today's message by just sharing about what I discovered about my own condition and, and then go into the book of Judges about just, uh, I think it's similar to the message that uh, Jin gave last week, uh, Pastor Jin gave last week, and I think it's a message that a lot of pastors like to preach about um, at the beginning of the new year. Although the new year, the sense of enthusiasm and excitement of the new year is probably fading fast. We're third week. And how many of you guys gave up on most of your resolutions? Just, no, okay, hang in there. Right. I know some of you don't even make resolutions. Uh, we're 19 days into the new year. Some of you might have given up on your resolutions, but fear not. We're only 346 more days till 2015, and you can start fresh again. Um, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about, and so I was just saying, I didn't get a chance to listen to Jim's message until last night. And I listened to the message, I'm like, wow, this, this is like a lot of what I was going to say. Um, Actually, my message is more like focusing on Lot than it is on Abraham, because I I probably identify more with Lot than with Abraham, especially the way Jin sort of described the situation. And uh, I know Jin, in passing, talked about Lot's faith as one that's half-hearted and selfish commitment. And so I want to talk a little bit about that as we look at the book of Judges and the nation of Israel. But before I do, I I do want to talk about my own journey and um, what I learned in these past three months. Um, and, and it is related, so it's not altogether a completely different subject. Um, I, I don't know how to say this. I'm just going to try to just get it out there. And, and, and I want to, I kind of rather wish I could engage you in a conversation rather than me just telling you, because I would love to hear your thoughts on this. But um, the thing about my condition, my diagnosis of my own condition, um, and, I, and, and uh, let me just take another pause, another little uh, 
detour here is that one of the things, another thing that I did during my um, sabbatical, and this sounds a little bit uh, egomaniacal, but it's not. It's actually um, the opposite. I, I listen to my old messages. Okay, that, that's because I I, I needed to. I, I want to improve on what God has called me, so I, I need to improve and. And um, I told you in this, I listened to my old messages, and wow, I had forgotten a lot of them. To the point where I'm listening, I'm like, what is the next point? Get, like, I will say, and the point is, I'm like, what is it? I didn't know. And I, I didn't even realize, I didn't even remember some of the illustrations. I'm like, wow, really? I got to take notes on this. Um, and, and, and there are two things I came away with my own preaching. It's like watching yourself in your golf swing. It's never as pretty as you think it is. In your own head. But a couple of things that came about my preaching. Number one, I actually, I actually was blessed by many of the points I made many years ago. I was like, wow, that's actually a profound insight. I was like, that is really, that, wow, that's actually pretty good. That's, that's a deep insight. At the same time, I almost shrank in embarrassment in my own car and in other places to listen to at how poorly I communicated those truths to you guys and how rushed and, you know, I, I, I discovered that I was not the most eloquent speaker or polished speaker and all my hems and haws and ahs and, and all of these uh, incomplete sentences that I uttered and, and bad pronunciations and everything, I just like, oh, wow. And to think that you've endured all these years of listening to me uh, made me appreciate all the more uh, your faithfulness. And your kindness in, uh, in, in these past years. So I, I told Jen, I gave myself an A for the content and an F for delivery. So somewhere landing in C. And I actually um, was really inspired to sort of uh, go back to a lot of the messages and polish them. Because one of the things, challenges of doing ministry part-time, as you know, um, I, have a, I have another set of responsibilities during the week. Part of the challenges of doing ministry part-time is that you don't really get to invest as, as fully the time that you want to in, in, in the things that I um, like preaching and some of the ministry work that I want to. And as a result, sometimes it comes out less polished than I, I, I would want. And I think in the next few years, rather than moving forward with a lot of new messages, I'm going to go back and um, just really polish, polish some of the awesome. Take the drool and just you know, shine it down a little bit. Rough out the edges. Make it sound a little better. And uh, so anyways, the point is, I was listening to an Advent message that I gave four years ago. And just like I told you, I had no idea what it was about. <laughs> but it sounded interesting to me because it said, if Jesus is the answer, what's the question? I said, oh, that sounds like a good message. Play. I have a long commute, so I listened to it on my way back. And uh, it actually helped me diagnose my own situation and my own heart and what I was going through. And that is this. Um, that, that my condition, that what I'm fighting for, the fight of faith that Paul talks about, my fight of faith was not about me being a good Christian or me being a, a nice, patient person or a kind person, me being a loving husband or a good father or a good pastor, good friend. It wasn't about these things. It wasn't about the, you know, my tendency to sometimes want to fib a little bit or stretch the truth. It wasn't about my covetousness or jealousy or, or, or fear of the future. All of these things were there, but that wasn't the root cause of it. 
what I realized listening to that message and reflecting on Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 again is that at the heart of the problem was that in my sinful nature, in my default, unredeemed, unregenerate sinful nature, that I hated God. That I hated God. That I neither had the capability nor the desire to pursue the things that please him. That was my problem. Let me read to you what Paul, ta- Paul says in Romans, 8, cha- uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. And if you have your Bible, I, you can look with me because sometimes listening and reading is very powerful. If not, you can just listen as well. Because in the, in the days that Paul wrote this, most often people heard this rather than read it. So, you know, do it both ways. Read and listen to what Paul says. And, and it's really hard to read anything in Romans 6, 7, and 8 without reading all of three chapters in, in its totality because it's really a one uh, long sort of uh, diagnosis and solution about our dilemma, um, our, our human condition that Paul addresses. But in Romans 8, 5, Paul says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, enemies with God. It does not submit to God's law, and here's a big key phrase, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. In other words, what the Holy Spirit was telling me is that in my sinful nature, in my unredeemed nature, I am neither capable of living a life pleasing to God, nor am I capable of even seeking God or desiring God. And what Paul tells us in the next verses, he tells us, but we are set free from that life. That's not, he says, but that's not you, the church in Rome. That's not you. Paul says, Sam, that is not you. You, however, are set free from that if you live by the Spirit. What Paul was saying in Romans is this. All of us who have put our faith in Christ are set free from that very life that Paul just described in Romans 8, 5 through 8. We are free from that. That should elicit joy and maybe even an amen. We are free from that life. So I'll give myself an amen. Amen. We are free from that life. I know Pastor Rick was soliciting some amen, so you guys better get used to it. Um, We are free from that life. But here's, here's what Paul says. Even though you are free from that life, If you don't put to death the misdeeds of your life, later he tells us in verse 13, you will still live like that. In other words, what God was telling me through these three months of reflection is that though I am free free by God's grace from that life, that if I'm not diligent in putting to death that life, even though I'm free, I still live like a slave. In other words, I find myself that when I'm not diligent, when I'm not living a life led by the Spirit of God, if I'm not living a life filled by the Spirit of God, by His grace, 
then it's not that I sin more often. It's not that I'm less patient. Those things are all symptomatic. At the root of it is that if I am not living a life filled with the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, then I am actually hostile to God. I am angry at God. I am ambivalent toward God. And I am distant from God. The diagnosis in my heart, what God was saying to me, was you are disdainful of me. You do not love me. You are hostile towards me and my things. You are hostile towards my holiness. You are hostile toward my laws. You are hostile toward my grace and my salvation. You treat me with contempt and disdain because you are choosing to live in your sinful nature. When you and I, the fight that we're fighting, the fight that we're fighting, it's not about being a better person. It's about either we hate God or we love God. And even as Christians, those who are spirit-filled and born again and redeemed, if we do not live by the Spirit, Paul tells us, you will in fact default back to your sinful nature, which is hostile to God. When I looked at my life, that's exactly where I was. I didn't want the things of God. The things of God did not appeal to me. They were disdainful. And as much as some of you might like to think that it's not you, it is you as well. When I look at your life sometimes, I see people who are hostile toward the things of God. That we don't desire or love God's holiness or his kingdom. It seems like an onerous burden to us. And like Luther, Martin Luther, who famously said, I hated God before he was set free by the truth that we are justified by faith. That's our, that's our nature. That's the battle. What did Christ save us from? He didn't save us from our petty lies. He didn't save us from our petty covetousness and jealousies and greed and overindulgences and our sloth and laziness. That's not what he died on the cross for. Christ died on the cross to kill our hostility towards God, our rebellion against God, and reconcile us to God, to open our eyes, God, open our eyes to see God, not as an angry, vengeful, bully, distant and far from us, but as a loving God who humbled himself and came to redeem a people. If we don't live by the Spirit, if we don't live by the Spirit daily, if we don't put to death the misdeeds of our life and throw ourselves at the mercies of God to live led by the Spirit of God, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, Paul tells us. If we don't do it daily, on a daily basis, that we wake up in the morning in our sinful nature, still slaves to that very nature Christ set us free from, and our minds are hostile towards the things of God. It's not about you being a better person. It's that you hate God. We hate God. And if you don't think that's worth fighting for, to redeem a love and a passion for God, then we're lost. The battle is already lost. If we don't know what it is we're fighting for, if we don't know what Christ set us free for, if we don't know what the message of the gospel really is for, then the battle is already lost. Romans 8, 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Yes, we are redeemed, we are regenerated, we are born again. But unless you put to the misdeeds of of the flesh, we will die. And this is to the believers. Paul says it another way in Colossians 3. He says, Colossians 3, 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then he says later on in Colossians, Clothe yourself with Christ. So in the end, what the Spirit was saying to me was that my condition was that in my sinful nature, I despised God and I was hostile to him. And the solution was simple. It's to live by the Spirit. It's to live a life led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit. And in the next few weeks, I want to talk a little bit more about what that looks like. What it means to live a life filled by the Spirit. And I can tell you, um, man, it is wonderful to be in love with Jesus. It is wonderful to be passionate about his kingdom. It is wonderful to love and see God in his beauty and his holiness. It is wonderful to fight the fight to be holy it is wonderful to fight that hard, difficult fight to, for sanctification. So that is the, sort of the journey that I was on in the last three months. And it's a journey that I will continue. It's, never, uh, ending, it's a never-ending process. It's a daily process. It's a moment-by-moment process. I feel like this today, but when I wake up tomorrow morning or even two hours from now, I will have to put to death that sinful nature again by the grace of God. The path to the resurrection life is through Jesus' cross. Um, I know, Esther, why are you smiling? I don't know why. I won't even go there. Uh, so I, I just want to encourage you to do that. Just... Please hear me when I say this. The fight is to love God. That's the fight. It's not to be a better person. It's not to be a more moral or righteous person. The fight, the battle we fight by the grace of God is to love God for who he is. Amen? All right, uh, so today's message, <laughs> and it's related. Um, I think there's something about the new year that makes pastors want to talk about long-lasting transformation, right? And I told Jen, and, and I don't know if I said it rightly, and I'm not sure if you'll get this, but as I was listening to Jen's message last, uh, from last week, and then I had already written a draft of my sermon before I listened to it, I realized, wow, that's... It's a very similar message. I could have just used, replayed you the first 10 minutes of his message in my introduction because it's very similar. And that is, there's something about the new year that makes pastors want to talk about long-lasting transformation, right? He gave the illustration of a dog tied to a leash. 
um, and, our, and, our, and our transformation seems to be always within the certain radius. We kind of change and then go back to our ways. And uh, he used that illustration. I used the term yo-yo. And um, Drew asked me if that was a uh, yo-yo. Like, does, do people even know what a yo-yo is anymore? Yeah, you guys are old, so you know what a yo-yo is. But he asked me if that was a rap term or hip-hop term or yo-yo. <laughs> that is the other one. It's not yo-yo, it's yo-yo. Anyways, uh, there's something about the new year that makes us want to talk about long-lasting transformation. And the irony is not lost on me that we do this every year, okay? Which is very ironic. I kind of chuckle to myself, wow, that is very ironic that we talk about long-lasting transformation every beginning of the new year. Um, but I want to talk about transformation. Why it, why it is that we go through this sort of... Um, up and down, so why we, we seem to fail at making long-lasting changes in our life, and why we kind of go up and down like a yo-yo in our spirituality. If there's a book in the Bible, uh, man, my mouth is dry. If there's a book in the Bible that exemplifies the uh, famous saying, in fact, I was reading a, a, a Salon article, Salon.com article, that said this is the most used cliche today, um, if there's a book in the Bible that exemplifies this saying, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, often attributed to Albert Einstein, but it's really, I think, his origin is apocryphal. We don't know where it comes from, but we just know we love it. And today, this is one of the more popular cliches used in politics and so forth. But if there's a book in the Bible that really exemplifies the saying, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, it is the book of Judges, Okay. Now, I got to tell you, I, 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 I read through the book of Judges. Not, I didn't peruse it. I didn't read it carefully. I, I just kind of glanced over it uh, really quickly, uh, all of it, in the last few days. And uh, it is a bizarre book. It is a dark, dark book, right? I mean, if there's a book in the Bible that I would say is really atypical of, of sort of the narrative uh, you know, sort of the exciting stories of Abraham and Moses. It's the book of Judges. There's some stories in there that just do not make sense to modern readers. Um, well, the book of Judges, and followed closely by First and Second King, really exemplifies this thing about doing the same thing over and over again. And, and, and the reason is, as uh, Eunice read today's passage, Israel goes through this pattern of, of disobeying God and falling into captivity than being redeemed by a judge, not once, not twice, not three times, but over eight, nine, ten times. The phrase, the phrase uh, first appears in chapter 2 where it says, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then comes again in chapter 3 and, and twice in chapter 3 and so forth. Uh, the phrase is now changed to, again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That phrase is found no less than seven times in the book of Judges. And actually it's implied probably eight or ten times that Israel fell away from God. And the pattern was simply that Israel would do evil in the eyes of the Lord every time they experienced a season of peace. Whenever things were well, whenever they enjoyed a season of peace, they would somehow fall into idolatry. And, and, when, idolatry, and when they fell into the sins of idolatry, God would send um, foreign nations to conquer them and subjugate them. And then in their distress, they will call out to God and say, God, deliver us. We have sinned and we repent. And God would send a judge, Deborah, Ehud, 
Gideon, Samson, some of the more exciting stories of the Old Testament are found in the book of Judges. He would send judges, and he would deliver them. He would empower the judges with the Spirit of God, and they would go out in power and liberate the people of Israel from the enemies. And then they would enjoy a season of peace under the leadership of the judges. But as soon as that season ended, or as soon as they were sort of uh, into that season of peace, they would drift away like a car with bad alignment. They would just naturally drift away from God and become idolatrous again, as Eunice read in chapter 10 and 6 today. And, and they will fall into the cycle. And, and um, you know, you, as a reader, you almost read with incredulity, how, how could the people of Israel not learn? I mean, how could they go over and over and over and over and over and over, seven, eight, nine, ten times into the cycle? And then you realize, wait, wait a minute, that sounds like me. That sounds like a lot of us in our own life and struggles, right? How many times have we made the same New Year's resolutions? How many times have we struggled with the same sins? Can you say with confidence that I've grown in my faith, that I've transformed in long-lasting and permanent ways? No, it's like Pastor Jin said. I, mean, I think that was a wonderful sort of visual illustration of a dog tied to a leash. We think we're changing, and all of a sudden we're yanked back into our old default self. We go into this yo-yo spirituality. So why is this? Um, and lest you think that you're not, um, that this doesn't apply to you, it does. And to me, um, I've been with this church for, I don't know how many years has it been, a long time now. And some of you I've known for a long time. And it's, believe me, it's a blessing and a privilege to know you. And I hope you feel the same way. If not, that's okay. Don't tell me. Um, but I can tell you, I haven't, there are some areas in my life that I still struggle with, that I haven't made permanent changes to. And I can point out the things in your life and areas that you struggle with too. So this applies to all of us. No exemptions. Some of us are stagnant in many ways. So why? Why this yo-yo spirituality? Well, there's, uh, there's uh, many reasons, but I want to look at the book of Judges and um, focus on two. Let me just put today's passage in brief context. Um, the story actually goes back, way back. There's no such thing as brief context when it comes to the Bible, right? I mean, you just got to go, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No, we won't go way that back. We'll just go back maybe 15 chapters later. Long ago, God called a man named Abraham. He did, and we'll actually go back that far. And, and God promised Abraham many things, among which is land. God promised, that, God promised Abraham land. He said, I want you to go to Canaan, the promised land, and take possession of it. But he says, I don't want you to go there and take possessions of it quite yet. And there's this weird phrase that not many people focus on. He says, because the sins of the uh, Amorites have not reached their full. 
and, and I don't need you to focus now, but there was a reason why God said, I, I don't want you to go there now. You're going to have to wait because there's some nations there that I'm going to execute judgment through the people of Israel, and their time has not yet come. So, so in the meantime, he tells Abraham, your descendants are going to go to a foreign land and be slaves for 400 years. Just know that. But afterwards, they're going to be freed, and they're going to go into the promised land. Okay? Let's fast forward 400 years. Lo and behold, God's word is true, as it always is. We sang about it, right? Nations may crumble, but the word of the Lord stands forever. As, as God said to Abraham, the same thing, what exactly God said to Abraham happens. The people of Israel are subjugated as slaves in, in Egypt, and then through Moses, they are set free, through God, through Moses, they are set free to enter into the promised land. Now, on the evil going to the promised land, Moses himself does not lead the people of Israel into the promised land because in a, in a moment of sort of desperate uh, exasperation, uh, Moses disobeys God, and because of that, he is not allowed to enter into the promised land. The person who does lead the people of Israel into the promised land is Joshua, right? And, and just by way of just sort of, uh, you know, I love the name Joshua, not because it's the name of our beloved guitar player, Joshua, here, or my son, Joshua. Uh, but Joshua, for those of you who know, is the name of Jesus. It is Yeshua. It's, it means Yahweh saves, God saves. It is Joshua who leads the people of Israel into the promised land. And now, when God sends Israel into the promised land, he gives them this instruction. He says, when you go into the land that I'm giving you, land flowing with milk and honey, when I send you into that land, I am commissioning you to drive out the people that are there. Sort of, this is God's uh, sort of executing judgment and also preparing the people of Israel to live faithfully to him. It says, I'm commanding you, I'm commanding you to drive out the people that are there completely. Drive them out completely. Okay? No remnant. No trace of the people that are living there should, should remain. You should drive them out completely. Because if they stay, they'll become a snare to you. Their idols will become a temptation to you. And they will trip you up in your life with me. So I want you to drive them out completely. So in Judges, what do we see? We see the execution of, the, of, of this command. The people of Israel now go into the promised land. They wage war against the people. And they conquer and they, they get most of the uh, commandment right. But not all of it. Look with me to verse 2-1, which I don't have in my Bible, which I didn't write down. But uh, can someone read Judges 2-1? The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And read a little bit more. A little bit more. Okay. And so the part of the reason why Israel goes through this yo-yo cycle is because they don't fully obey God. It's this partial, half-hearted commitment to the purpose of God that lands them in the predicament they find themselves in. It is this partial obedience where God says, "Drive out the people completely." They don't do so. Instead, they let some people remain. 
And then God says, because you disobeyed me, because you allowed some of these people to remain in the land, because you did not obey my commandments fully. And remember, in the eyes of God, partial obedience is no obedience, right? Ask Saul a couple of hundred years later what, how God feels about partial obedience, right? Saul, who was, who went to, who was called to destroy everything, save some of the best animals in his, in his excuse to offer to the Lord, and God said, you know, I reject you, Saul. Partial obedience is tantamount to disobedience to God. And the Israelites find themselves in a predicament of a yo-yo cycle because they did not fully commit to God's plan for them. They were half-hearted in their commitment, like Lot. And because of that, the people who remained there became ensnared to them. They worshipped the Baals, just like God said they would if they left the people there, right? In a season of prosperity, when things were going well, they would abandon their God and uh, worship the uh, idols. And, and, and this goes on for years. It's, it's in all in our nature. And here, here, listen, dear friends. You know, when God looks at my life, when God examines my life and your life and says, you know, and we ask God, God, why, why is it so hard to make long-lasting change? Why, why am I like a yo-yo in my spiritual life and my journey? Well, God's answer to this is because you're half-heart, you're, you're committed half-heartedly to my purpose for your life. It's a half-hearted commitment. It's the almost, you know, almost there kind of a commitment. It's obeying God seven, eight-tenth of the way, but saying, oh, these last two, we're not really committed. It's a half-hearted commitment to God's purpose for our life that makes us vulnerable to this yo-yo life. What God is saying to us is if you want to be freed, okay, Pastor Jim talked about moving forward, you've got to be free from the from the chains that, that keep us in the past. If you want to be free and move forward this year, if you, if you want to go out in faith, we have to be fully committed to the purposes of God in our life. Half-hearted commitment, half-hearted obedience to the purposes of God does not work. It does not work. When you encounter the person of Jesus in the Gospels, and Jesus is the embodiment of God, you cannot know God without reflecting on the person and life of Jesus Christ. When you read the Gospels, when you reflect on the message, the Gospel that Jesus preaches, and in his life, there is absolutely no room in his message to say, you can follow me half-heartedly. Lord, Lord, let me go and bury my father before I follow you. Lord, Lord, what about my parents? I have to take care of them. The message of Jesus, his call to you and me, come follow me, has in it no room for half-heartedness. Jesus says in Luke 15, he says, uh, not Luke 15, in Luke, one of the chapters in Luke, I can't remember the exact passage, he says, count the cost of discipleship. Who begins to build a tower without seeing if he can finish it? Who goes out to war before examining if he can win the war? He says, count the cost. You want to follow me? It's an all-in proposition. All in or nothing. That's Jesus' message. There is absolutely no other way to follow Jesus because he doesn't give us an option. And yet, I think many of us have never heard the message presented that way. We never hear the gospel that way. We hear the gospel almost in a, in a weird, bizarre way that Jesus never presented it to his followers at that time. 
And so we tend to follow God with half-heartedness, and, 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 and that's the biggest reason, this half-hearted commitment is the biggest reason why we go through a yo-yo cycle. Now, why is it so hard for us then to fully commit to the purposes of God in our life? Why is it so hard for us to commit? How many of you guys are afraid to commit? Be honest. Okay, me. I, I am deathly afraid of committing to God. Do you know why? Let me just give you two quick reasons, okay, from the book of Judges. Now this is where I'm like, I have like lots of things left and I'm trying to get it done in the next five minutes, okay? So I'm going to pick up the pace, which I notice when I hear my own messages. I can't understand what I'm saying. It's like you're not finishing your sentences, but bear with me. Um, bear with me. Here's, here's one of the reasons why we have a hard time fully committing to God, because number one, it's hard. Just say with me, it's hard. Say, it's dang hard. All right, I got to tell you this. I went to a church one time, and at this one church I went to, <laughs> maybe this is why I'm doing it. This pastor made, me, made us repeat like 30, half his message, he made the congregation repeat. Say it after me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I was like, wow, that was a... Uh, Quite an experience. I'm like, be glad I don't do that all the time. But I haven't done that in a long time, but I really think I was influenced by just being there. I'm like, okay, I will repeat after you. Uh, it's hard. It is hard. Look with me to uh, chapter 119 um, and 135. And actually, I'd like you guys reading. Can someone read Judges 119 and 135? Okay, in that verse, what, it, what Judges is saying, or what the Israelites are saying is, we tried, but those people in the plains that we tried to drive out, they had these iron-fitted chariots, and it was hard. 135. Someone else. Okay? In other words, the people there, they're not like, oh, God gave you this land. Okay, let's just let's get out of here. They're like, no, we're fighting for this land. The Amorites were determined to hold on to their land. So what am I saying? The nation of Israel, I think, started with the intention of fully obeying God and driving everyone out. They went in fully intending to execute God's will for their, for their nation. But here they go into war, and they're trying to drive out this group from the plains, and all of a sudden they're coming at them with these chariots fitted with iron, and they're like, dang, that's hard. We're losing too many people in battle. It's hard. They're trying to kick out the Amorites from the Mount Harris, that area, as God commanded them. The Amorites, it's not like they're, they, they're you know, helping him make it easier. They're fighting back. And the Israelite says, that's hard. So you know what? I think it's just so hard that it's just easier to let them live here. And so they compromise. The reason the nations, nation of Israel uh, sort of allowed the people to stay wasn't because their intention was to disobey God. I think their intention was to obey God, but they found it difficult. And the number one reason I think we don't fully commit to God, because it's hard. It is hard. 
Okay? It's hard. It's difficult. It's difficult to love your enemies. It's difficult to love your friends sometimes. Amen? Wow, that's quiet. <laughs> you know, Pastor, and I know, I, as you can tell, Pastor Jim's message is fresh on my mind because I, I just heard it last night. Uh, he said last week, he gave the illustration of he felt disrespected, right? I'm not summarizing. One of his illustrations of giving up his rights, he felt disrespected. And, uh, and, but he said he gave up his right to sort of press, you know, what he felt was his right. And, and then he said he felt the grace of God. Come on. I mean, was that easy? No, it wasn't. Will it be easy the next time? Just because you did it once, listen to me, just because you did it once and you experienced the joy of the grace of God, the next time it happens doesn't make it easier. Okay? little confession time. Okay? I know my time's fast running and I'm sorry. Hey, this, what did you expect? I haven't preached in like three months. There's a lot of stuff. If you expected anything else, I'm sorry. You're badly mistaken. Uh, last year, I, I did what I promised I, to do when I was 40. Okay, it was a couple of years after I made the promise, but I eventually did it. I did the sprint triathlon, right? Uh, thanks in large to Young, who, who uh, really encouraged me, and, and, and he ran the whole thing with me just to sort of make sure I did it, I think. But, but I know deep in his heart, it's encouraged me. But uh, it was hard. The first two, it got harder progressively. The first one, I was like, oh, it's easy. The bike ride, kind of like, oh, it's a little harder than I thought. And the swim, I was ready to give up. I was floating like an otter down the pool, and I wanted to give up. Those of you who were there knew, knows what I'm talking about. And Esther knows what I'm talking about. She would send photos of me floating down the pool like an otter. Yes, thank you for that vivid illustration. But, you know, at some point, I was going to give up. I really was. I think it was after the first 15 meters when I almost drowned. And I was hanging onto the little rope on the side. And the lifeguard's going, no, you can't stay there. You got to keep moving. I'm sitting there holding on. I'm going like, okay, I can't do it. I'm going to die. Uh, I tried. It was good effort. But I seriously don't know how I did it. I, I Partly, I think Gene was, Gene's not here, but he was very encouraging. I made it to the end. Okay? And, and when I finished it, man, I felt good. It was exhilarating. But you know what? I felt really good. I really did. I felt like, wow, I did it. I felt good. Just because I felt good about it doesn't make me want to do it again. Right? I'm being honest here. I don't want to do it again, but I'm going to do it again because I promised young I would, and I'm actually training for it. I am because I don't want to go through that again. I will float like an honor one more time, but I will do it much easier this time. Okay? What I'm saying is, just because I experienced the joy of overcoming that difficulty and, I, and it was worth it, doesn't make it easier the second time. All right? We're afraid because living the Christian life is hard. Loving your enemies is hard. Forgiving people is hard. Giving love to people who don't reciprocate, who don't appreciate, is hard. Living in community with people who don't understand you, who are different from you, who are, who are at times, you know, for lack of a better word, just they get on your nerves. It's hard. It's hard. You know what I notice about the New Testament? You know what Paul talks about the most? It's about how to get along. Really. All of Paul's ethical implications is how do you get along with other people? Because you know why? That's the hardest thing to do as a Christian. is to get along with other people. 
How many of you guys sometimes rage against humanity? All right. I mean, my gosh. Fighting sin is hard. Being content with what you have is hard. You know, uh, forget it, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to keep talking until you guys, <laughs> until you guys either glaze all over or, I don't know, the food gets cold. Pastor Jin gave this illustration last week. I know. I'm like, you're hearing two sermons in one. Pastor Jin gave the illustrations that you have to give up the, the right to want the best in your life, right? And as I was listening to that, I was, I, part of me was a little bit critical because I said, you know what? That's a very suburban sort of a dilemma, right? I mean, it's talking about, you know, wanting the best for your kids and so forth, all the good education. But, you know, people who live in poverty don't really want the best. They just want to survive. So I was thinking, well, that's kind of an upper middle class dilemma, wanting the best. And then I realized that's not true. He actually was right. People do want the best wherever they go. Because, you know, what is funny is, um, you know, as you guys know, we have food distribution. So we, we, we serve the lower income people in our, na- in our community every week through our uh, Fuller House uh, food distribution program. 5,000 pounds of food, we give it out. You know what's interesting? These people are all coming here because they're low income, right? Because they don't have food. And we have like, let's say, for example, we have green beans, a box full of green beans. And these are old produce. It's not like you're getting whole foods here, right? These are foods that people usually don't want, and then they're, they're, they're left over. So they're kind of barely edible. I mean, they're, they're not like completely bad. You, could probably, you have to probably eat it in the next two days. But they're still you know, edible, and we offer it. You know what happens? As people are going through this, they start picking out the best in the product. I mean, they have, like, tons of, of, of green beans. It's not like they're going to go, I'll just grab whatever since I'm, 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 I'm in poverty and I'm just going to grab whatever. No, they're, like, looking through. I'm like, okay, that one's low, but rotten. I'm going to take the best. So it actually is very true. This desire for the best in any situation is true. It's not easy to give up that right, right? It's not easy not to lust. It's not easy to be not to be covetous. The fight of faith is hard, and that's why we're half committed, because it's hard. But listen to me. The biggest lie that the enemy tells us, the biggest lie our sinful nature tells us, is that something that's hard is, is not pleasant or is unhappy. No, it's the opposite of true. The best things in life come through difficult situations, right? Just because something is hard doesn't mean it doesn't lead to joy. Just because something is hard doesn't mean you're not filled with happiness as you pursue it, right? Any, any I don't say parent, but any mom who's given birth knows. I mean, how many of you guys think nine months of pregnancy is pleasant? All right? And as much as you women always, oh, Gina, thank you. Uh, as all, <laughs> all of you women, this is, okay, as a guy, what do we hear from women all the time? You'll never know what it feels like to have a baby. Yes, we don't. We, we, we will never know. <laughs> most of you women don't know what it is to have a big bear gully, big beard belly for most of your life and carry, carry 50 extra pounds either all the time. But hey, that's okay. <laughs> <clears throat> we're even, okay? <laughs> Labor is hard. Carrying a baby for nine months is hard, but you, how many of you ever regretted it? Okay, sometimes maybe, but no. <laughs> how many of you ever regret giving birth to your child? Has anyone? Anyone? Life is hard. Following Christ is hard. Jesus never said it's going to be easy. You know what he says? You want to follow me? Let me show you where I'm going. I'm going to this place called the cross. And I'm going to die there. I want you to carry your cross and follow me. 
But you know what he says? If you do follow me, on the other side is resurrection. It's the new life. It's joy. Hebrews tells us Jesus endured the cross. That means it was hard. He endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. Hard doesn't mean it's not filled with joy. Living in community is going to be hard. And it's going to be harder when we get together and launch a new church. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to build new relationships and, and, and forge you know, a way of living together with, with another group. It's going to be hard. But it's not. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not going to be filled with joy. Don't run away from a fully committed Christian life because it's hard. Because it is hard. Some of us... Don't think it's hard. Uh, don't have this mindset that the Christian life is meant to be easy. No, it's meant to be dang hard, impossible. But don't run away from it because you're afraid. And the last thing is just we need more role models. And I'm going to just leave that to another time because Joshua tells us that a generation rose after Joshua passed away that neither knew the Lord nor what he did. You know what the biggest problem? You know why we don't live a fully committed life? It's because we have a distorted view of what the Christian life is. We think fully committed life is being this wacko fundamentalist, like give up everything. It's not. One of the biggest reasons we fail to live as a fully committed Christian is we don't have good role models. We don't know what it means, what it looks like to live a fully committed life in our context. In 21st century Southern California. And, and I'll, I, I'm going to expound on that down the road about reading biographies, reading, reading this forth. But listen to me, my dear friends. If you want to love God, if you want to live in freedom, follow, following the Spirit, we have to be fully committed to God's plan for our lives. No half-hearted commitment. If you live a half-hearted committed life, you will just fluctuate in your spiritual life. You will yo-yo. You will wake up one day and many days hating God and despising God. Our only way to follow God, the only way to true growth and transformation is fully committed. We may fail, but we will fail into the hands of God, into the grace of God. Amen? And we will grow. How many of you guys are excited about living fully life committed to God? How many of you guys want to live a spirit-filled life? How many of you want to love God and experience the joy of living for his mission and purpose and his kingdom? Because it's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. Let's pray. God, there's so much that's said today. And... Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just sift them out and just plant the words that each person needs to hear. Plant it deeply in their hearts. Father, in a few minutes, in a few hours, next tomorrow, we will fight again once the, faith, the fight of faith. Help us to not be afraid of that fight. Help us not to be afraid of the fully committed life. Grant us vision. Grant us a passion. Lord, help us to not run away because it's hard. But help us to fully obey you and commit to you and love you. And when all is said and done, may we enjoy and live life in the power of your resurrection, filled and led by your Spirit. We know this is your will for us. We know you want to do this in and through us. So we pray that you would. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. I want to thank you for bearing patiently with me.
on my return.